the Underdog Podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Welcome back to another edition of the Conference USA Underdog Podcast here on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. Uh, I'm Joe Londrigan, the Western Kentucky blogger over at the sites, do some other COSA-related things as well. Uh, have Eric Henry on with me, as always, the FIU beat writer, and we are going to get into what happened last week in Conference USA football. We'll skip the usual fanfare and get right to it, because today we also have a Q&A section uh, with questions submitted by you, the listeners on Twitter, uh, so I'm excited to get into those. But first, the week that was in Conference USA football. Uh, starting things off on about as bitter of a note I can get with the Western Kentucky loss to Charlotte, uh, WKU just really looks terrible against that 49er team. But if you're a 49er fan, the good news is Benny LeMay has played really, really well this year, and that streak continued against the Hilltoppers. Uh, Charlotte won that game 40-14, to 121 yards and two Two touchdowns on 17 carries for Mr. LeMay. Only 42 rushing yards for WKU in, uh, in a song that's become a little too familiar for Topps fans. That, uh, that team just really cannot figure out the formula for moving the ball on the ground. Topps also had three turnovers. That didn't help things. And a note in this game, the defense actually let Charlotte score the most points they ever have against a CUSA team since they joined the conference. So... There's, at this point, with the way Western's playing, it's nothing that we didn't already know they were doing or not doing. The running backs can't seem to find holes. The offensive line isn't really making holes all that well. And for some reason, when it comes to defending the run in particular, this defense is just way too inconsistent. Yeah, Joe, you know, uh, Western Kentucky, they played their thousandth game in school history this week versus ODU, but game number 999 was one that uh, I'm sure you and all Western Kentucky fans are looking to forget. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, belabor the Western thing because I'm, I'm going to let you kind of have the floor again as I'm going to ask the question about Mike Sanford and his, uh, his job security. Earlier in the year, you said that it wasn't really time to start speculating on that, and I wonder if that's something we might need to reconsider, but... Uh, I just want to give Charlotte all the credit in the world here because, you know, if you listen to this podcast, I haven't exactly been the uh, biggest fan of the 49ers. Every win that they've had this year, I think I've kind of just attributed to luck and, and happenstance. But, you know, hey, give them credit because they came out and won the game. Uh, ben LeMay, as you said, hugely on the ground. Juwan Foggy with uh, two picks of David Shanley. And for Brad Lambert's club, that's win number three. Uh, I, I know it's kind of hard to believe, but your two top teams in Conference USA Conference USA's Eastern Division are FIU and Charlotte. Uh, I don't know how many people saw that coming at the beginning of the year. Now the question has to be, can Charlotte get to six? Six being the number of wins to qualify for a bowl. It's still kind of surreal that that we're even entertaining this thought uh, this year. Um, quick on, on that for me, do I think Charlotte gets to six? No, um, but I, I, I honestly believe that uh, if you get to five wins for this year, that's that's just as good, in my opinion, as a bowl win. Um, or as a bowl game, a bowl game appearance, excuse me. Uh, but for Charlotte, just give them all credit in the world because they came out and won this game, you know. But uh, I'll get back to my question from before, Joe. Mm. Uh, Mike Sanford the second, you know. Is it time that we start, you know, having a serious discussion about whether this program is regressing? Because, it, quite frankly, this year has been beyond disappointing. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's very fair at this point to have that discussion about whether or not this guy is the right fit. Because at this point, you know, it's not like... Uh, 
it's not like something that you would see at, uh, you know, at some P5 programs or, or even, you know, my, it's funny. I was talking about this with my friend and he kind of made the comparison to, uh, you know, how some European soccer clubs will just really not give a guy enough time to implement a system. And if they don't win right away, then they're gone. And that's kind of unfair. But at this point, I think it's more than fair to say that. Uh, Mike Sanford has not made the most of the chances that he's had with this Western Kentucky football team. I don't think firing him in the middle of the year is going to be conducive to what they want to accomplish ultimately. But I think, you know, at the end of this year with however however many wins they end up with, I think, you know, it's time to seriously consider whether or not it's, um, you know, worth keeping him on moving forward and whether or not they can, um, you know, afford that buyout for him. Yeah, Joe, just, you know, my two cents from kind of an outsider's perspective is this. You know, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of necessarily saying, hey, uh, Coach X or Coach Y needs to be fired, but sure. this is kind of how I how I assess that. Um, the program just really looks as if they are regressing. I know that's, you know, the term that I used earlier, but, you know, you're not going to go 13-0 every year. You're not going to be Alabama every year, especially at, at a, a G5 program. Mm-hmm. But the, the team just looks – and for the record, I wasn't – as high on Western as maybe you or some other people were. I, I kind of thought they were a, a uh, six and six team at best. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing is, to lose to Charlotte, to lose to you know uh, an FCS team, they're they're better than that. You know the talent is certainly there. Um, it, the loss against Wisconsin, you know, it's it, they're playing a Power Five team. But you have to look at Mike Sanford, who had some interesting play calls will 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 say that at best um so that's that's my big takeaway is that you know you're going to lose games that that's that's just going to happen but when the program looks as if it's going in the wrong direction um similar to um i i, I hate to jump ahead but odu mm-hmm. uh then it's time to start kind of uh, assessing their coaching situation in my opinion yeah, and I think that's a pretty fair take. I mean, um, there's probably more that I could say. And I'll just say this: that if Western looked like they were going to get the six and six this year, I would be over the moon with that. But as they've shown this year, that's probably not going to happen, and it is what it is. So hopefully, they can kind of figure out what they need to do to get back to what they were doing two years ago quickly. Um, So that's what we'll say about that and move on to a program that looks to be in a pretty good spot right now with UAB just obliterating Rice 42 to nothing over the weekend. So many good performances from the Blazers in this game, actually. You look at uh, Xavier Ubosi, 196 yards and two touchdowns on just four catches, and then 274 yards through the air for A.J. Erdely. Two TDs, no picks. Um, Really looks stellar out there. Um, Not that it was, uh, you know, Rice hasn't been necessarily famous for their pass defense this year, but still a really nice day for early and the Blazers just seem to be rolling right now. Yeah, Joe, let's start with uh, giving all the credit in the world to the UAB fans because, excuse me, to the, the UAB uh, football team. Mm-hmm. Uh, some UAB fans uh, kind of gave me a little hard time on Twitter because I, I thought I acknowledged something that was pretty fair and that Louisiana Tech didn't play their best game. Um, and they insisted that UAB caused all their struggles. You know, here's a newsflash, bone both aren't mutually exclusive. You know, you can mm-hmm. not play your best game, and UAB can play up to the competition. So, uh, give all the credit. You know, they they beat a struggling Rice team, and and uh, they did exactly what I would have wanted them to do, which is go out there and just really take care of business and, uh, and really obliterate that team. You know, uh, AJ Early had a good day through the air, and most importantly, didn't have any turnovers. Um, you mentioned Xavier Obosi. Uh Nine and a half. T- 
nine and a half tackles for loss for the Blazer defense, who really shut down the only real threat of uh, the Rice offense, which are the two backs and uh, Austin Walter and Emmanuel Asupa. Um, for Rice, it's just kind of a bad situation, goes to worse. Uh, last week, you had mentioned that maybe they might want to take a look at some of the backup QBs, and now, you know, they'll be forced to do so as uh, Sean Stankovich. Uh, officially this afternoon we actually labeled out and Evan Marshman is going to make his first start against FIU. Uh, personally, I would have wanted to see Jackson Tyner get a shot, but uh, they're going to be going with Marshman as, you know, Mike Bloomer's corrupt. They're just going to kind of keep fighting out the rest of the season here and see if they can uh, get something going towards next season. Yeah, that's interesting that they're not giving Jackson Tyner a shot at it, especially now that Stegovich is, is hurt. Um, so why do you think that is? Why do you think they're going with this guy instead of Tyner? Personally, Joe, I think mm-hmm. it's kind of just a matter of, you know, Tyner is a little more experience. Mm-hmm. And I think with Marshman, you're just really looking towards the future. Mm-hmm. And it's I think you had brought this up. I, I believe it was regarding this Rice team. Um, it might have been Rice or it might have been UTEP. But you, essentially the point you were making is that, hey, why not kind of look and see what you have looking towards the future? Mm-hmm. And with Marshman, you know, hey, he's a former walk-on. Let's just throw him in there and see what he has. Um, especially against a team like FIU that – while they're trending upwards, uh, their past defense up until last weekend had really kind of been, you know, um, suspicious at best. So why not try them out there and see what you can do? Well, if it was my idea, then it's clearly genius. Um, So UAB looking like they are trending in the right direction. Rice um, still looking like they clearly have some things to figure out. And looks like that quarterback position will um, get a little more interesting moving forward now that they have this guy uh, instead of Mr. Stankovich. But... Uh, North Texas certainly has their quarterback situation figured out as they pick up another win this week against Southern Miss. UNT 30, USM 7 was the final score in that one. Three touchdowns for UNT running back DeAndre Torrey. And really, it seems like UNT has their groove back offensively with how many yards and points they were able to rack up this week, as well as defensively. They made some great plays, forcing, uh, I think, three turnovers in this game. But um, I think the big question that a lot of us have after watching a game like this and watching Southern Miss the last couple weeks is what is going on with that USM offense? Yeah, Joe, and I'm, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because if you look at the box score and you didn't watch this game, mm-hmm. you would think that they put up a ton of yardage. Uh, I think the, the best answer to that question is third downs. It's as simple as that. Uh, here was the, you know, um, the offensive output for Southern Miss in the first half. Punt, punt, TD in two minutes and five seconds, which, of course, you know, you, no one's going to turn down a touchdown. But when you score that quickly, your defense uh, isn't exactly having a chance to rest and you're not keeping the mean green offense off the field. Uh, the ensuing drive was turnover on downs, interception and punt. Uh, that's not going to get the job done. It wasn't that they weren't gaining yardage, but you have to finish the drive and those have to result in points some way uh, in, form, in some form or fashion. So, you know, just the, the thing with the offense, give all the credit. Uh, from my perspective, to the Golden Eagle defense, who held UNT to only 10 points in the first half. Mm-hmm. You know, they just didn't get any support from the offense. Uh, from the you know North Texas perspective, they've been able to kind of do what I've been preaching, which is can they get a solid running game going week in and week out? And if they can get that type of production, you know, from a DeAndre Torrey, uh, a Nick Smith, um, maybe I don't know if uh, if we will see Lauren Easley uh, at some point right at the end of the season. But if you get that type of run production in addition to the pass, uh, I think the CUSA title really runs through Denton. So. 
least. It certainly seems that way. And speaking of getting a lot of running production, that's exactly what Marshall did this week in a 42-20 to win over Old Dominion. A career day for Mr. Tyler King with 195 yards and two touchdowns for him in the, in the big herd victory there. So in this game, I guess, like... We, this is more or less what we expected to see from the Marshall offense for most of the year. And I guess it just took getting a matchup against Old Dominion for that to really come out. <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, it's, as we as we established, it's been a rough year for Bobby Wilder's club. You know, let's start here. Uh, for me, it's the Marshall D. Uh, when you can hold that dangerous duo of uh, John Duhart and Travis Fulgham to under 100 total receiving yards, that just, you know, it's a great afternoon. Um, and, and ODU is just a curious case. You know, they have so many dynamic weapons, uh, and they just offensively, they can't. They just couldn't keep up with the herd. Um, although they have looked better since making the quarterback switch from Steve Williams to Blake Larusa, you know, it's it's this having able to get anything going in terms of putting something in the win column. Tyler King and Anthony Anderson combined for almost 200 yards rushing, and Tyree Brady goes over the 100 yard mark. Uh, not much more for me on this game aside the fact that you know ODU's disappointing season just really continues, and and Bobby Wallace Club just falls to one and six on the season. Yeah, yeah, it certainly looked like a uh, it's a tough go for for the old dominion team right now but um you know like western kentucky it's i think just fans are holding out hope that they put something together towards the end of the season to let them know that there's still some kind of spark left in that team but uh we'll go ahead and move on to uh, a team that is also struggling on offense a little bit with utsa they lose to louisiana tech 31 to 3 over the weekend um jamar smith looked great once again uh cordell grundy had a decent day on the ground with 60 rushing yards on 11 carries but um really that that passing game was just struggling all day uh cordell grundy had a pick uh threw for 191 yards um we saw jordan weeks throw a couple of passes but um that offense is just remains a major point of frustration for this utsa fan base yeah, Joe, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, here's the frustrating thing if you're a UTSA fan. This team is 3-4. and four. Uh, I don't know how you feel about this, but if they had even a, a, an above-average uh, QB in Conference USA, this team probably would be a bowl team, would they not? I would think that'd be the case. Yeah, yeah. You know, that, that's just the thing. I, I look at it, and I don't want to keep, you know— Appearance from Trash and Cordell Grundy, because um, you know he's he's a guy who's, who's trying to do what he can to position. But the fact of the matter is, uh, he's kind of a guy like Kyle Oxley. Whereas, uh, as far as using his legs, he completely has that that option and that uh, aspect of his game. But through the air, he's just not up to par yet. The Roadrunner D did did their part, in my opinion. You know, they shut down Jaquist Dancy and, and McKnight yardage wise. Uh, Josiah uh, Tuafia, uh, he had 13 stops and one and a half tackles for loss. That guy's a stud. You know, he's He's one of the better defensive players in the conference, but you know Jamar Smith was able to have a great day through the air. Um, credit Tech's D for shutting down B.J. Daniels through the ground, but overall, just a good win for Tech taking care of business. But yeah, to be completely honest with you, like I said, my biggest takeaway is that if UTSA just really has even a, an above-average quarterback, you know, they might be four and three or five and two. Uh, not necessarily saying they, they would compete in the West, but they could be a bowl team uh, if they were able to get that position stable. I would think that'd be the case, but then meanwhile on the uh, Tech side, um, with four wins so far and the two losses, and then looking at their remaining schedule with UTEP next week, FAU after that, number 22 Mississippi State following, and then Rice, USM, and WKU to round out the season, 
This team has a very good shot to finish the uh, regular season with eight wins, possibly nine if, you know, something crazy happens against that FAU team. So, you know, I expected Tech to be good this year. Definitely expected them to get to a, a decent bowl game. But if they get nine wins, I mean, I feel like you got to be over the moon with that if you're a Bulldog fan. Joe, I don't have Tech's schedule pulled up in front of me. I, uh-huh. I believe the, the first four you said were, were Rice, Southern Miss, FAU, and uh, UTEP were the, the next four? Uh, the next four. Their next four are UTEP next week, followed by okay. FAU, and then Mississippi State, and then Rice, USM. Mississippi State, State. okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So I, I think they, they get uh, – the next four, I think they're going to go two and two. Mm. Um yeah, I'm, I'm maybe I'm a little more pessimistic. I don't think they get nine. Um, mm-hmm. I guess and I, I don't want to say semantics and say eight, but uh, sure. um, yeah, I just it was kind of when you said nine wins, I was like, wow, really? Could La Tech do that? But um, but yeah, I think they get to eight. Okay, yeah, I mean, I feel like you would still, you know, be okay with Take that. that uh, yeah, yeah, I would absolutely. I mean, uh, yeah, there's definitely fan bases even within this league that would absolutely take that based on what their team's doing. And it looks like uh, Holtz's boys there are absolutely going to another bowl game and continuing that streak. So good for them. And then uh, we'll round out last week's recap with talking about FIU pulling it out against Middle Tennessee State. Um, Eric, I know you weren't able to make it to that game in person, but um, what was your takeaway from uh, from watching the game at home? Yeah, under doctor's orders, I uh, wasn't able to make the drive. But, you know, just from the FIU perspective, you, you have to prove that you're for real. Uh, wins over Arkansas, Pine Bluff, and UMass, yes, you're glad you have them, but you're supposed to get those. Let's just be honest, you know, for a Butch Davis coach ball club, that has a ton of talent. Mm-hmm. The Panthers hadn't beat middle in three seasons. And through three quarters, it looked as if middle was going to be able to pull this one out. But the major takeaway for me from the FIU perspective on this one is James Morgan is making his case to be one of the best quarterbacks in the conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, 27 to 36 for 311, two TDs, you know, a great game winning drive. He delivered a strike in the back of the end zone to CJ Wharton to put FIU ahead for good. Um, from the middle perspective, it was a gutsy performance by Asher O'Hara. You know, he's a Juco guy who came in when Brent Stockstill, he, he left in early in the second quarter, looked like an ankle injury, mm-hmm. and he made a lot of uh, great plays with his legs. You know, he had uh, 85 yards rushing, but you got to give the FIU defense their credit because they've been much maligned all year as a team that's needed as a unit that's needed to play up to their potential and they shut down the air attack uh short part of that had uh to do with stock still leaving but you know uh let's give credit to olin cushion the third he's a newly minted captain and he sealed the deal he picked off asher o'hare in the end zone to seal the deal and let's talk about fiu for a second you know they're in first place in the east and they have to be considered the favorites to win the division yeah, I would certainly think so with the way that FIU's playing. And you mentioned uh, the stellar play that we've seen from James Morgan, C.J. Wharton, and that entire offense. But um, let's let's look at Middle Tennessee for a second. Do we know anything um, about the extent of Stockstill's injury right now? Joe, I've been checking, and I haven't. Um, I'm, you know, both of us cover college football, so we know that college teams especially, they're not required to give injury updates like the NFL. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to get a, a probable or doubtful. You know, the most we heard was that he left with a lower body injury. Uh, it looked like an ankle because he just was hobbling around, and, and it didn't look like maybe like a leg or anything like that. Um, and they also lost Brad Anderson as well, who, who looks to be out for a much more extended period of time than Stock still. So we don't know what his status is for the upcoming week, but uh, that's the latest we have on that. Fair enough. 
uh, you know, and certainly hope for the best for uh, Brent Stockstill. No, he's had major injury, not maybe not major, but he's definitely had injury issues throughout his career, and uh, would definitely hate to yes. see. Yeah, would hate to see his senior season get cut so short so soon. Um, and with that, we finish up the uh, Conference USA recap from last week, and we will move into the Q and A section. Um, didn't keep track of who submitted what questions as I pull up my notes here, so I apologize for that. But um, we'll just get things started off. Then, who is the most surprising team in Conference USA this year? Um, I think I have a few, but Eric, I'm interested to see what your take on this is. The most surprising team in USA, I am going to go ahead. Like I said, I, this is a team that uh, I haven't given them any do in their wins, and I, and I think it's time for me to give them their credit. I'm going with Charlotte. Um, it's not that they're going to you know, win five or six games or, or win the division or win the conference or anything like that, but the fact of the matter is this. Um, I think in our preseason, project, in our preseason projections, excuse me, uh, I think I had them at one win. Uh, I'm not sure what you had them at, Joe, but mm-hmm. the fact that they've gotten to three and they've beaten some solid competition, in my mind, is uh, is really, really just kind of blowing my expectations out of the water. And to, to the point where, you know, this question, um, I believe was also asked on Twitter as far as, is it time to maybe consider, you know, an extension for, for Brad Lambert? I don't know about an extension, but I, I absolutely think that with the progress he's made, uh, he deserves an, another year. Uh, to get into specifics, it looks like you have, you know, Chris Reynolds has played well at quarterback. You have Ben LeMant running back. Uh, it's just, I'm kind of at a loss for words because I just didn't expect. This was a team that, to be honest with you, Joe, if you had told me before the season, would they go winless or would they win three games, I would have trended more towards the winless. That's just the fact of the matter. Sure, and I definitely agree that their three wins have been a surprise to me. And since you went with a positive surprise, I'll go ahead and play the uh, the pessimist and go with a negative surprise. And for me, I think the biggest one is Old Dominion. I really expected more out of what they uh, have on that roster with Jonathan Duhart. I expected uh, Stephen Williams to, be play- to uh, have matured a little more than what we've seen from him. And, uh, I mean, honestly, Blake LaRussa, I think, has proved uh, that he is the guy for that spot right now. Um, And then also, you know, with what Jonathan Duhart's able to do, I thought they'd be able to put up more wins. And then how much we've harped on how good that defensive line is and uh, all the talent on that side of the ball, I really thought that would be enough to get them more than one win at this point. We're seven games through the season for them. And they're one and six. I think that is my single biggest surprise. But like I said, there's a few that could probably get tossed into that category a little bit. I thought we'd see more out of, uh, you know, I thought Western would have a couple more wins at this point. I thought Charlotte would have less. Um, And, you know, if you had told me that uh, FAU wouldn't be on top of the conference at this point in the year, I would have told you you were crazy. But here we are. Yeah, Joe. See, I'm glad you mentioned that because you know, for ODU, you know, that's it's almost overkill at this point. We know that mm-hmm. they have a ton of talent. This is more; they have m- way more talent on that team to be a, a, a one-win uh, ball club. For FAU, I want to jump to this for a quick second. You know, it's not that FAU is bad; uh, they still have a chance to win the division. But you know, we thought that they would run away with the East, uh, especially with the way they looked against Oklahoma and UCF, and then to take the loss against Middle. But for me, the biggest surprise with FAU specifically is the defense, Joe. You know, that's a group that I thought was elite, and I still think they're very talented. I, I think they have a handful of guys who are going to play professional football. Uh, Jalen Young was my pick for Defensive Player of the Year, uh, preseason-wise. Mm. But just the fact that the pass defense has been – there's no way I would have – 
predicted coming into this season that the key for victory against an FAUL football team is to pass the ball against them. And teams have done just that. Uh, I mean, Mackenzie Milton's one of the best quarterbacks in the nation. You know, that's going to happen. But everyone's been able to pass the ball against FAU this season up until last week. So that is just a, that's a surprise for me as well. Yeah, I, it's really interesting to see how, like you mentioned, that FAU defense just hasn't been what we had hoped they would be with, um, you know, how well that defensive backcourt specifically played last year and had, uh, I believe they led the league in interceptions and were really close to being, you know, one of the national leaders in that category and just we haven't seen it. So, um, yeah, that whole yeah, Eastern, yeah. the whole Eastern division has been a, a surprise. Really? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Jalen Young had eight picks last year, so there you go. Just to your point about how many interceptions they, and turnovers they were able to create. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll stay in CUSA East for this next question. What do you think are FIU's chances of winning out this year? This is uh, first off. I don't think it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are two games on their schedule that I think will be the issue, and that's what I was kind of starting with. This is uh, Marshall. And FAU. Those are going to be the two tests. Uh, out of those two games, I think they lose to FAU. Uh, here's the reason why. FIU, the defense, and I've you know belabored this point all season long. It's a very talented unit. You know, you talk about guys like Anthony Johnson, who quite frankly might be one of the most unheralded defensive tackles in all of college football. Mm-hmm. Uh, guys like Tier Tart, uh, guys like Taylor Humphrey. You know, guys they they have an embarrassment of riches on the defensive line. However, the run defense just hasn't been up to par. Uh, take out last week. You know, Middle Tennessee State as a whole hasn't been a phenomenal rushing team from the backs. Sure, they've gotten a little bit from Stockstill, and, uh, you know, Asher O'Hare was able to get 80-something yards last week, but let's go back to the Arkansas Pine Bluff game here. You know, when a guy like Taylor Porter, who is all of 5'7 and 175 pounds, and an FCS running back is able to put up 70-something yards in the first quarter and over 100 in the first half, uh, that shouldn't happen, and to bring that around to the FAU game, we all know the type of talent they have at running back. So I do think they'll take the loss there, whereas against Marshall, uh, I think they have a better chance of winning that ball game. So as far as them winning out, I don't think it'll happen, but I, I do think if they are going to lose again this year, it will be to FAU. I had pretty much the same thought looking at that schedule with the FAU game and the Marshall game still losing. I feel like they'll drop one of those. I think you know if they are able to beat FAU somehow, I think they'll end up dropping that Marshall game. But I think all the other games on that schedule, Rice, Western, UTSA, Charlotte, I think it's pretty fair to say they, you know, not only are they the favorite, I think that's a pretty easy, you know, it's pretty easy to say that they're the favorite for those games, especially against, you know, teams like teams like Rice and, and at this point even UTSA. Um, so. And, and one, one last quick thing, Joe, on that really quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, Butch Davis has made this point, and to be – to give him the, the benefit of the doubt, his his point that he's made is really bearing out here at this part of the season. He's always said that teams that he's coached, they tend to trend upwards as they get into the year, yeah. and FIU looks to be playing their best ball heading into the conference stretch. So, you know, by all means, the run defense could improve. Uh, I just felt need to give them that point because Butch Davis's point that he preaches post game is starting to bear out. That's a very good point. It's all about who gets hot at the right time. And um, with that, we will transition to talking about CUSA West a little bit. One of the questions we got this week was, why is CUSA West so unpredictable? Um, I guess, I don't know. My short answer to that is, I don't think it's been 
all that surprising. I mean, when you look at the teams who are on top, UAB's leading it with a three and uh, with a three and O conference record right now, and then Tech and North Texas aren't far behind with uh, two and one conference records. But uh, North Texas has that six and one overall record. But of course, Louisiana Tech is going to have the tiebreaker over them, and. I don't know. I mean, for me, UAB was my preseason pick to win the West. Um, and, you know, I certainly expected North Texas to be good. And, you know, they're certainly playing very, very well and, you know, maybe even better than uh, some people predicted them to right now. But, um, you know, I expected them to be close in the race. I expected UAB to be, you know, close to the top of that division, if not on top of the division for most of the time. And then, you know, Tech's hanging in there, too. And, I mean, of the rest of the teams in that league with, you know, UTSA, Southern Miss, UTEP, Rice, I always thought it would be, you know, Tech would be the top of that bottom, so to speak. So I, my right. basic answer for why is CUSA West so surprising, to me, it's not all that surprising, really. Yeah, Joe, I don't think that's, that's an unfair answer on your part. I know you had uh, UAB winning the West. I had UNT winning the West and UAB finishing second. So either way, you know, those are the top two teams right there. The best way I can answer that question is that the West just has three or four really competitive teams. And as you have those competitive teams, you're going to get a win or two that are going to bounce, you know, a team's way Um, to to the, I guess, to the specific of the unpredictable part. um, You're asking 18 to 23 year olds to play their best football each week. And one of the things I heard, uh, in watching coverage this weekend is I heard former Texas coach Mac Brown say that, you know, in all his years of coaching, uh, you're only going to get your best performance from your guys maybe two or three times a year. The rest of the time, you're need, you need them to play up to their talent um, and, and to kind of, you know, have some breaks go their way. So I, I think that's a fair point maybe as far as, you know, I don't know if that question was in regards to UNT coming out starting hot and they took the loss. Maybe you uh, it's in regards to that. But I mean, just to be honest, Joe, un- unless your name is Nick Saban, you're not going to get the kids to play their best football each week. So it's just a matter of a competitive vision and, and, uh, and that's about it. Exactly. And, uh, you know, I, maybe we'll get some unpredictable stuff that happens towards the end of it. We still got half a season left. But, you know, right now I think this is more or less where we thought the West would be. Um, but going back to something that we didn't think would happen, and that's Charlotte being at three wins already. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see what – you kind of talked about this a little bit earlier, but I'm interested to see what you have to say here. Has Brad Lambert done enough to save his job? In my opinion, yes. I don't want to just keep repeating the same refrain over and over each uh, each week on this podcast, but I, I just didn't expect this out of this Charlotte team. Um, the fact that they've won three games is is an accomplishment, in my opinion. Um, if Okay, Joe, I guess if you want to take this step back, and, and I'm going to throw this one out at you. Um, I did make the point when Charlotte was struggling early in the year that maybe it looked as if they made the jump um, to, uh, to the FBS level too soon. Um, that is the question that I, I think is worth addressing. But Brad Lambert is the only coach that this, this club is known at this level. And I, quite frankly, I think he deserves one more year. You know, he, he has – you don't want someone to go into, into a year as a lame duck coach, right? Like, hey, do this or else you're gone. You don't want to put that type of pressure and expectation on someone. But I, at the same point in time, uh, I don't think you just, you know, just start over just because you like, all right, well, went into the season expecting to – potentially fire brad lambert so we got to do it at some point in time the guy has done enough to to show that hey 
deserves another year. But but yeah, I just want to throw that out to you, Joe. Um, as far as Charlotte potentially having made the jump to, to FBS too quickly, I mean, I don't. I, I I don't think this is a team that necessarily is going to compete for a Conference USA title anytime soon. Mm-hmm. But do you think a coaching change is going to get them to that point any quicker? All also, my only opinion on this question is that you know, a yes, Brad Lambert has this team performing at a higher level than obviously what they were doing last year, and higher than what many of us thought they would be able to put out this year. But my big thing is, if as an administration, your you know, your goal is to get to three wins on the year, then that's not you know if you know what I mean like that's not that shouldn't be your goal (laughs) like I understand you're you're hoping for more but if you look at a three win season provided you know if if they only finish this year with the three wins that they have that you know that shouldn't be the case as an as an administration should always be pushing for something more and to your point is Brad Lambert you know leaving going to get them there any sooner you know, I don't know what the, you know, I don't know, but based on the amount of time that he's had to get this program to where I think a lot of, you know, fans want it to be in terms of being competitive, being, you know, at or close to bowl eligibility most seasons, he's proven that he's not been able to do that. You know what I mean? So I, I think at this point, three wins is, is not enough to save your job after the years of um, disappointing seasons that he's had. Um, you know, if he, I'll, I'll, I'll hold off on giving a definitive answer until the end of the year because there's still a real shot that Charlotte can win a couple more games and get to you know five and seven or something like that. Um, but at the same time, you know, if you're as an administration are that excited about three wins and the possibility of finishing the year with three wins, then I, I just, I disagree with that sentiment. So, um, okay, I mean. Joe, that's a really great point you raised in terms of, you know, just where the expectation should be. I want to make this point really, really quickly, all right? Mm-hmm. It's not like you're in the state of Florida where you have talent in every nook and cranny of the state. And if you're coming off a zero-win season, you know, you know, winless season such as a UCF, you can flip it in two years. Let's just call a spade a spade. You got North Carolina. You got North Carolina State. You got Appalachian State. Mm-hmm. Um, those are three programs right there who you already think have better inroads just in North Carolina alone than Charlotte. So, uh, once again, this isn't just you know my diatribe on defending Brad Lambert. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just more of what can you expect and, and how long that's going to take. Sure, I guess so. Um, but I mean, I think that's just kind of my thought process. Is I think they need to be striving for a little more than what Brad Lambert, you know, based on empirical evidence at this point, what Brad Lambert has shown that he's able to offer. Um, if this, sure. you know, if this was, um, I don't know if he had been there, you know, a shorter time and had maybe less time to, uh, you know, to compete with, to, uh, you know, figure out the recruiting pipelines and all that, then maybe my answer would be different, but he's just, he's had his chances at this point. And, you know, if again, this, he could still, do something great this year and so could this team but at this point I have I'm not convinced that uh, Brad Lambert's done enough to save his job in my my long-winded answer to that um, and, and then the final question we had was who starts at quarterback for Western Kentucky this week um, this is kind of an interesting question in that uh, really I think they're just trying to decide between Davis Shanley and Stephen Duncan at least that's what it says on the depth chart they're both listed as the possible starter 
But Stephen Duncan, I think, is the better passer. Um, 65.7 completion percentage for him this year. Um, and then uh, David Shanley, a higher percentage was 67.9. But, uh, you know, he's, he's thrown a little more pa- – he's thrown a few more passes. I think we've just seen a little bit more of him um, than when Stephen Duncan was on suspension. And then, uh, you know, Duncan didn't get in until later in the Charlotte game. But I don't know. I just – I feel better when Stephen Duncan's on the field. I think he's a little bit more of a passer. And then – well, David Shanley, I think, is a much better – running quarterback than Stephen Duncan, that rushing offense has proved that it's not going to win them very many games, regardless of who's carrying the ball. You know, that's, so that's my kind of point. I think you got to go with Duncan right now. Yeah, Joe, I mean, you're, you know, much more in tune with that situation than, than I am. It just, my, my two cents is this, the Western offense as a whole has Mm -hmm. been disappointing. And I, and I don't think that, um, that necessarily is is a reflection on the quarterback to answer the question uh i would go with david shanley personally uh i I think just having that that aspect of his game that he can provide and give the western offense any little spark is something they should go with um but yeah i just think overall as a whole it's not necessarily the quarterback that's the biggest issue with uh with western absolutely it's it's a lot of things at this point um but yeah, I, I think at this point, I think David Shanley has shown that he has the better legs, and I get what you're saying with adding that extra element of um, of that offense. But at the same time, if if he's a good runner and he has nowhere to go with the ball, with you know opposing defenses always being in that backfield and the offensive line at this point still struggling to figure that part of their game out, then it, you know it doesn't matter. And I like the fact that Stephen Duncan has shown that he has a little bit more of like a Excuse me, like a deep ball capability. So that's that's why I, I would go with him at this point. Sure, sure, that's a fair take. Okay, um, we we're not coming to virtual blows then. Awesome. <laughs> um, we're, we're, we're not. You know, Joe. You know what? Here's the thing. You and I have to stand firm together because it's usually a conference USA Twitter that's coming after us. So yeah. we can't afford to uh, have any cracks in our foundation here. <laughs> It never stops, does it? Like it, it, it doesn't. No. Uh, what, did, what did someone say to me this week after the Western game? I just all literally all I said was, I was my my Twitter headline for my recap this week was I was not a fan of how Western played this week. And then you know someone said like, how did you not see this coming? And it's like I I wasn't necessarily surprised that that happened, but it was just like. I don't know. Just people want to jump on stuff like immediately. And it's like, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Twitter's a weird place. <laughs> it, it is. It is a weird place, but you know what? It's, it is a necessary thing for our, uh, for our, uh, our jobs. Right. Oh, for sure. I would, here's the thing. There's so much stuff on Twitter when you cut through all the stuff like that. It just with memes and, you know, I'll, let's let's be honest. I would suffer through people telling me I'm a hack every day if it meant I got you know an endless supply of cat memes the way I do. So, <laughs> Joe, I just you know to really quick. One of the biggest frustrations with me on Twitter is that you know just objectivity. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I I know you know the definition fan is short for fanatic and and that in turn means hey uh, everything your team does is right and and you know they can't be wrong in any way. But you know just I, I just wish there was a little more objectivity from from. Uh, fans on Twitter personally. Yeah, I, I agree. And at this point, it's just Twitter is 
that there's it's that outlet that goes to the like unfiltered part of people's minds you know what i mean like you you nailed it with unfiltered show right and like it they just kind of say immediately what they're feeling without necessarily super thinking about it and it's i don't know i mean not that i haven't done the same thing sometimes but it's it's interesting to be on the receiving end of some of that stuff sometimes (laughs) it's like i mean all right so it is, but, but I think we'll cut this therapy uh, session short. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, yeah, we should probably do that, and we'll get to the previews for this next coming week of Conference USA football. We have Old Dominion and Western Kentucky squaring off with both programs in need of a win. Uh, that game will be. Um, at Western Kentucky, their first home game in a few weeks. Um, I'm not really sure what to expect from this game. I think it's going to be not very many points. I think uh, both teams are going to be able to, uh, you know, I think both teams are going to be able to drive the ball fairly well, but I feel like with as many mistakes as we continue to see these teams make week in, week out, I think this is going to be a relatively low-scoring affair, Um, especially with, you know, I think – this speaking of therapy sessions, I think this is going to be a chance for Old Dominion's defensive line to really wreak havoc with Western's offensive line. So I figure uh, it's going to be more of the same with that defense being in Western's backfield. Western's favored by five, which I think is a little surprising. Um, I think Old Dominion wins this game by ten, and uh, I think we see less than uh, we see less than forty points scored in this game. Uh, my first note, Joe, what mm-hmm. the hell do I say about this game? You know, I'm just calling it the disappointment bowl because you have two teams, quite frankly, who, you know, they've just really underachieved this year. Uh, the loser of this one's really going to come out feeling demoralized uh, for Western. We know the deal. They've got to focus on stopping the two dynamic receivers and, and Duhart and Fulgham. Uh, get something going on the ground uh, for the Monarchs. Let's just turn it back around. Get the ball early and off into the two stud wideouts. You know, people have been able to throw in Western this year. Uh, if they, from my POV, if they don't turn the ball over and play fundamentally solid football, this is a game that Old Dominion should win, and I, I think they'll win by a score. Okay. Uh, that game at 7.30 Eastern time on ESPN+, Plus. if we didn't say that already. Um, moving on, then, we'll look at Florida Atlantic heading to Marshall at uh, 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time in Huntington. Uh, FAU favored by two and a half at this point. I think that's pretty fair. Um, We saw last week what Marshall's offense is able to do when they have a really solid day. Um, We obviously know what FAU's offense is capable of with what we've seen uh, from Devin Singletary over the last couple years and then factor in those wideouts as well and, uh, and Chris Robinson. But uh, this one is going to be uh, a really solid game. And if FAU can win this one, I think it's going to be, you know, their ticket to getting back in the uh, in the divisional title race here. So um, with that said, I think we'll, we'll see FAU turn it on this week. They're favored by two and a half, like I said, but I think they're going to win this one by two touchdowns. Well, OK, two scores. Um, I, I, I think it'll be a little bit closer than that uh, for FAU, I'd like to see that defense just put together back-to-back weeks because, you know, as we talked about earlier in the podcast, it's really such a talented group. The ground game should be used to put up points and serve as a, as a, another form of defense. Play keep away from Brady, King, and uh, potentially uh, Isaiah Green. Uh, standard down success is one of my favorite stats, Joe, because I think, you know, in terms of football, it, it all begins and, and ends with two things, turnovers and how efficient you can move the ball on, on those regular down situations for those of you who don't know standard downs are first down second and seven third and four what are t- 
typically your your down and distance situations. Uh, FAU's defense has been quite frankly horrendous in standard down situations, and opposing offenses aren't having any issues moving the chains against the Owls. So I, I think that'll be a huge factor in the game. Mm-hmm. Marshall's defense has had a lot of success enforcing long third downs. So for FAU, they need to get in those manageable third and in converting situations. Uh, but my gut here tells me that Marshall will take this one. Okay. I think that's fair. I, we've seen what, like I said, that Marshall offense has the capability to be, uh, you know, a division winner. But it's they've just been a little too inconsistent for me to say that I think they will win this game. Um, so I think that's what we're going to see. We're going to see a great game either way. But um, we'll move on to Charlotte heading to Middle Tennessee then. Uh, that one at 3 p.m. Eastern Time on ESPN3. Middle Tennessee favored by 17 in this game, which I think is a little generous. Um, I still think Middle Tennessee is going to win. Uh, loved what I saw to that backup quarterback last week and at FIU despite the loss. Um, I think Charlotte is obviously moving in the right direction as a program like we just talked about, but um, I think Middle Tennessee is just a little bit more of a talented team, and I think they are, um, you know, a little, they're harder to beat at home than people give them credit for. So, uh, I, I'll I'll give that to them, and I think they cover that seventeen point spread. Yeah, you know, I don't know if they cover the seventeen, but I do think they get the W. There's just Joe. In what conference USA fo- football world can Middle Tennessee State beat FAU at home and lose to Charlotte? I, I don't know. So, um, you know, for the Blue Raiders, they have been banged up, and you know they're coming to this one as I mentioned without Brad Anderson and Brent Stock still is coming off of the ankle, so we don't know uh, what his status is just of yet. Uh, Javante Moffitt. For middle, he was ejected last week through a somewhat controversial targeting call last week, so he'll have to sit the first one out, first half of this one out. Um, everything is trending Charlotte's way in terms of injuries and, you know, Javante Moffat having to sit out. But it, Rick Stocksville's club just has too much talent. Otherwise, I think they'll bounce back and find a way, whether it's Tylee, Patrick Smith, Tavares Thomas, and I think they'll get the W. Uh, I'll say by 10 points. Fair. And like you said, just too much talent on that Middle Tennessee offense. Um, Moving on to another team with a lot of talent on their offense, Louisiana Tech hosting UTEP this week. Uh, 2.30 local time in Ruston on ESPN+. Uh, Tech favored by 24 in this game, and I think that is very fair with what we've seen from Jamar Smith, Adrian Hardy, that whole Tech offense, I expect them to put up a lot of points on this UTEP team. And while the Miners, we've seen them in some close finishes this week, um, or not this week, this season, uh, I don't think we're going to be in for the same kind of game this week, uh, especially with playing on the road. So um, I think we'd see UTEP drop to 0-7 and Tech gets to 5-2. and yeah, Joe, we're in agreement there as far as the outcome of that game. Don't have too many notes on this one, but the thing I'm keeping an eye on uh, is for UTEP is they're going to go with the two-quarterback system, which I think, quite frankly, is a good idea because you have two guys with such vastly different uh, skill sets. You have Ryan Metz, who is a passer and has that experience and played a heck of a game last week. Um, Kai Loxley, you know, he's, he's a runner. He's, quite frankly, his passing game just isn't there yet. Uh, if they're going to go with both, excuse me, if they're going to go with both guys, I, I think that's that's the way to do it. Um, I think they can provide a spark for the offense, but, you know, Tech wins. For sure. Um, speaking of getting a spark on offense, I think that's just what, uh, that's what UTSA really needs right now and what Southern Miss 
it sort of needs, but I think the talent, especially at that quarterback spot with Jack Abraham, is going to be able to provide in that game as the Roadrunners head to Hattiesburg to face uh, USM. That one going to be at uh, 6 p.m. local time on ESPN+. Plus. Golden Eagles favored by 17.5 in this one. Um, I think that's pretty fair, but I'm going to say that they do not cover, but Southern Miss is still going to be able to win because I think that uh, – you know, really, Jack Abraham is just a better quarterback than Cordell Grundy. So I think Southern Miss is going to be able to rack up some decent yardage on that defense. And um, basically, based on the body of work so far, I don't think that uh, that offense is going to be able to keep pace with uh, the team from Hattiesburg there. Yeah, Joe, you know, let's get that out of the way right now. I think uh, Southern Miss wins, so we're going to be in agreement again there. Mm-hmm. Uh, two really quick points there for me. Uh, the deciding factor, in my opinion, will be UTSA's ability to run the ball and keep it out of Jack Abraham's hands. If they can, they have a fighting chance. Uh, for Southern Miss, they have to convert third downs. You know, if they get off to another slow start and they can't convert those third downs and you have another game like last week where you're going uh, picking up yardage but ending your drives and punt, punt or turnover on downs, um, you're leaving UTSA around and they have a fighting chance. But I think uh, I think the offense will bounce back and I think they'll get to win decisively. We're in agreement on that. We see FIU hosting Rice later, uh, later this week. With uh, the Owls coming in at uh, 7.30 local time on ESPN+. Plus, The Panthers favored by 24 here. Um, yeah, you know, I think we'll see a similar game to what we saw when UAB played Rice, I think. Uh, James Morgan is going to have another great day, I would think. Austin Walter, he's been playing okay, so is that whole Rice offensive attack, but I don't think they're going to be able to put up very many points. I don't think it'll be a shutout, but I think we see, you know, Rice maybe get between 7 and 14 points, but I think we're going to see FIU get into the high 30s probably. Yeah, Joe, you know, for me, that it's no secret how much of a fan I am of James Morgan, even uh, going back to the offseason when he transferred into FIU. Mm-hmm. I think he continues his ascension into the upper echelon of Conference USA quarterbacks. And quite frankly, I think the argument can be made that uh, he's right there behind Mason Fine. Uh, as being one of those top guys. Uh, as far as for, for FIU, their defense just needs to step up and put together back-to-back solid outings because this defense, as I you know mentioned over and over, they have a ton of talent. Guys like Anthony Johnson, Tart, uh, Sage Lewis, and Ed Freeman will be needed to shut down Rice's talented running backs. Uh, Rice's offense, or lack thereof, is going to be a major issue for the Owls. Uh, and I think FIU gets, excuse me, FIU gets win number five on the season pretty easily, especially with Rice uh, having to start uh, Evan Marshman, the walk-on. Very true. And we talk about offense all really the whole duration of the show. And we'll wrap up by talking about a game where there was there will certainly be no shortage of offense with North Texas heading to Birmingham to face UAB. Uh, that will be at 730 Eastern at Legion Field there. This is going to be the game of the week, I think. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, well, you see what uh, both these teams have been able to do in terms of putting up points, uh, in terms of putting up yardage. Um, but here's the thing for me. Obviously, we've seen UAB's rushing attack be their strength all year. Meanwhile, North Texas brings the number two rushing defense uh, in the league into this game. Um, and we certainly know what... UNT's passing offense is capable of with Mason Fine, uh, well over 2,000 yards already on the year. And then UAB brings the best passing defense in the league into this game, uh, giving up just 134 yards uh, 
on average per game. Um, and they've only given up four passing touchdowns on the entire year, which is a surprising stat. Um, so this is going to be really, really, uh, you know, people that are going to this game are going to get their money's worth. I'll just say that because at the end of the day, you have these two high power offenses and then both of these teams are the one and two scoring defenses in the league with UAB being one, North Texas being two. So I am really torn on this one, but you know, if you put a gun to my head, I would say UAB takes this one just by a nose because these teams are so evenly matched. It's insane. All right, uh, Joe, I don't know how dangerous you're living out there on the West Coast, but hope no one's putting a gun to your head. That aside, <laughs> I, I, I couldn't resist that one. Uh, that aside, this is going to be the premier matchup in Conference USA. Um, you you really touched on my point, which you're going to talk about the, the difference, excuse me, the battle between pass defense and a passing attack. Uh, for UNT, I say it all the time, Mason finds elite. I just want to see that offense have that balance. You know, if they can get off to a quick start, I don't think that UAB has a type of quick strike offense to to keep up, you know, tit for tat with them. Uh, for the Blazers, they got to control the clock. We all know about the ability of Spencer Brown, um, the stable of backs, AJ Early, who, what they can do with their legs. For me, I'm going to give you a name who I think is really going to play a huge factor in deciding this game. It's going to be all 6'8", 260 pounds of Jamel Garcia-Williams. He's a guy who has five and a half sacks on the year, and he's got to get to Mason Fine. You know, whether it's pressures, sacks, and he's also uh, very good against the run as well. So I think he's going to play a huge factor in this game. Uh, I'm taking UNT, but I think by by a score at most, you know, at times North Texas played down to its competition, but there's no denying that. They have the talent to, to compete, and this is going to be, you know, the game. Uh, it's going to be a huge ball game out there in the in CUSA's Western Division. Uh, I think UNT rises to the occasion. They play their best ball game of the year. I'm so excited to see this game. I may end up actually. Uh, I'm, <laughs> oh wait, is it? How is this? Is this on stadium? How are we going to watch this I, game? I, I, I think this one's on stadium. Okay, awesome. That makes it super easy. I'm really looking forward to seeing what these teams are able to bring to the field on Saturday. So with that, we will go ahead and start wrapping up the show. Um, Thank you once again for listening. If you are not already, please subscribe to the Underdog Podcast on iTunes. That way you can hear the new episodes every week when they come out. Also do American shows and uh, Sunbelt shows if you are not, uh, if you only listen to us. Um, But, you know. I don't know why you would do that, <laughs> but um, remember to follow at Underdog Dynasty on Twitter as well, like at Underdog Dynasty on Facebook, um, and then follow us on social media. I'm at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore. Eric is at Eric C. Henry underscore, and uh, check out Underdog Dynasty every day for more G5 football goodness. Eric, you got anything to say to the people before we sign off? Yeah, I'll just will say, please, you know, despite our uh, short little therapy venting session, we do appreciate all the feedback we get on Twitter. And sometimes we wish there was, you know, a little more objectivity, but still, feel free to follow us and interact with us. And uh, let's enjoy another great weekend of Conference USA football. Let's do it. Happy football watching, everybody.